Welcome to this eViral Hepatitis Review Podcast. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of eViral Hepatitis Review. We're here today with Dr. Raj Reddy from the University of Pennsylvania's Perlman School of Medicine, where he's the Rumi Family President's Distinguished Professor of Medicine, the Director of Hepatology, and Medical Director of Liver Transplantation. And we're here to talk about some of the clinical aspects of hepatitis C treatment and hepatitis C-related extrahepatic manifestations. Evaral Hepatitis Review is jointly presented by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. This program is supported by an educational grant from Gilead Sciences Incorporated. Learning objectives for this audio program include describe the significant morbidity and mortality that may be caused by hepatitis C-related extrahepatic manifestations, and explain how hepatitis C treatment can favorably impact the course of extrahepatic manifestations. Dr. Reddy has disclosed that he has received consulting fees from Merck & Company Incorporated, Spark Therapeutics, Mallinckrodt, and Ambis. He has also served as a principal investigator for Merck & Company Incorporated, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Canadis, Mallinckrodt, Exact Sciences, and Intercept. He has further indicated that he will not be referencing the unlabeled or unapproved uses of any drugs or devices in today's discussion. Dr. Reddy, thank you for joining our eViral Hepatitis Review podcast today. Thanks very much for inviting me to be part of it. In your recent newsletter issue, Doctor, you analyzed some of the current literature describing investigations into the association between hepatitis C infection and immune and inflammatory conditions outside the liver what are called extrahepatic manifestations, and importantly, how these extrahepatic manifestations are affected when patients achieve sustained virologic response. What I'd like to do today is focus on how that information might directly impact clinical practice. Uh, So start us out, if you would please, Dr. Reddy, with a patient scenario. A 46-year-old gentleman presents with fatigue and leg edema. He has a past history of modest alcohol ingestion until four years, while previously he had experimented with intravenous drugs around 20 years of age. There is no history of hypertension or diabetes mellitus. An examination, he had three-plus pitting edema of his legs, but was otherwise unremarkable. He is freshly diagnosed with hepatitis C infection and has a hepatitis C viral RNA of 5,380,000 international units per ml, and his HCV genotype was 1A. Laboratory data noted also quite significant proteinuria. A fiber scan was done to assess the severity of his liver disease, and he was staged at stage 2 fibrosis. So a patient newly diagnosed with hepatitis C, but maybe he's been infected for 20 years, and he's got some liver damage from stage 2 fibrosis. That said, my first question needs to be, what is so remarkable about this individual that we want to talk about his case here? What makes this situation something beyond a garden-variety case of hepatitis C? This patient has hepatitis C infection, but there's something unusual about the case. The patient has mild fibrosis, but has significant proteinuria. So this is not a garden variety case of hepatitis C. The patient has no history of hypertension or diabetes, and so those conditions should not be causing protein loss. So you would need to think about hepatitis C-related extrahepatic manifestation causing proteinuria. 
An extrahepatic manifestation of hepatitis C is membranoproliferative glomerulonephritis, and they can lose protein in the urine. So you need to be thinking outside of the box. So his symptoms are suggestive of an extrahepatic manifestation of his hepatitis C infection. How should a clinician proceed? What do you recommend? So when someone sees proteinuria, you need to assess the case further. First, you need to quantitate the amount of protein loss over a 24-hour period. Also, we want to make sure that this patient does not have advanced liver disease. This, of course, has already been done with a fiber scan that only showed stage 2 fibrosis. We also want to do the rudimentary blood tests of CBC, platelet count, INR. Then these patients should be checked for cryoglobulins. Cryoglobulins are immunoglobulins that precipitate in cold temperatures below 37 degrees. Patients with hepatitis C infection can have cryoglobulins, and those along with complement proteins may cause immune complex disease affecting the kidneys and also other organs. And if they do have an extrahepatic manifestation of renal disease, they can leak protein. Generally, a kidney biopsy is not needed, but some may pursue a kidney biopsy. But that would have to be done in conjunction with the opinion of a nephrologist. The rudimentary testing, again, I want to emphasize, would be of cryoglobulins, complement levels, and quantitative urine protein. So where would you focus the treatment, Dr. Reddy? On the hepatitis C infection or, or on what? Something specifically directed to the kidneys? What do you do here? This is a great question, a very relevant and important question. Generally, in a case such as this, treatment is directed against hepatitis C. We now have effective oral directly acting antivirals, and these should eradicate hepatitis C infection. Once you eradicate hepatitis C infection, there's likely to be a resolution of immune complex phenomenon in the kidneys and protein leak should subside. On an occasion, we see complete resolution of proteinuria. This alone is sufficient. On an occasion, we may need some specific therapies directed against immune complexes outside of the realm of hepatitis C therapy. These treatments, however, are infrequently necessary. To summarize, resolution of hepatitis C infection is likely to lead to a resolution of proteinuria. Patients' leg edema should subsequently improve as the proteinuria resolves. DAAs, the direct-acting antivirals, versus the interferon-based regimens. What does the evidence say about DAAs and extrahepatic manifestations? Historically, if you were to look at the data, interferons were used for a long period of time, and there has been robust data with resolution of extrahepatic manifestations with interferon-based therapy. We all recognize that DAAs are the current standard of care, and they have come into play only more recently. Thus, there has not been long-term follow-up data relative to what we had with interferon, 
to judge as to how well DAs work in resolving extrahepatic manifestations. Yet, with the short-term data we have, DAAs work as well as interferon-based therapies for extrahepatic manifestations. There is no reason to believe otherwise. DAAs are the current standard of care, and they work well for extrahepatic manifestations. Thank you for that case and discussion, Doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Raj Reddy from the University of Pennsylvania's Perlman School of Medicine in just a moment. Thank you for listening to this eViral Hepatitis Review Podcast. If you're unfamiliar with our program, we're a combination newsletter and podcast continuing educational series. We're available online without cost or prerequisite. Eviral Hepatitis Review newsletters are published every other month. Each issue focuses on a specific area of importance in the care of patients with viral hepatitis and is authored by an expert clinician who reviews the current literature and provides commentary. In the month following each newsletter, a case-based podcast discussion, like the one you've been listening to, brings that expert perspective to translating the new information into clinical practice. Continuing education credit for eViral Hepatitis Review is jointly provided by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. For more information about eViral Hepatitis Review, please go to our website, eviralhepatitisreview.org. Welcome back to this eViral Hepatitis Review podcast. Our guest is Dr. Raj Reddy, Director of Hepatology and Medical Director of Liver Transplantation at the Perlman School of Medicine. And we've been talking about hepatitis C-related extrahepatic manifestations, how to recognize them, and how to manage them in real-world clinical situations. So let's continue in that vein, if you would, please, doctor, with another patient scenario. Patient is a 37-year-old Caucasian female who has a diagnosis of chronic hepatitis C infection. She comes to my office and states that she has had repeated episodes of skin rash while at times the rash would subside and there would be no evidence of it. When I saw her, she had a maculopapular and non-tender rash over her extremities. On examination, she had no features of liver disease. Investigations noted that she had no protein in her urine. Hepatitis C viral RNA was over 3 million international units per ml. Her HCV genotype was 1. She already had a liver biopsy, and it showed minimal fibrosis, if any. She had cryoglobulins done, and she was positive. A skin rash? What does her skin rash have to do with her hepatitis C infection? Isn't that an interesting question? Why would you be thinking of skin rash being related to a hepatitis C infection, while mostly we know that hepatitis C infection causes liver disease? Again, you'd have to think of her skin manifestation as an extrahepatic manifestation of hepatitis C. Is it the cryoglobulins? Cryoglobulins can be seen in about 40 to 60% of patients with hepatitis C infection. Relatively few, though, in the order of 5 to 10%, have extrahepatic manifestations noted clinically, and that can be tied to cryoglobulins. Skin manifestation, one of those. This is an intermittent maculopapular rash that is not tender, and this differentiates it from other skin conditions, and there can be many skin conditions totally unrelated to hepatitis C infection. Also, these patients may have necrotic areas, and skin can be necrotic and painful. 
you need to keep an open mind about cutaneous manifestations. And you have to believe the patient's history. If you are not to believe the patient's history of intermittent skin rash, you might miss this manifestation because the rash may not be present when you see the patient. Even with that history, how do you differentiate what we're seeing here from a simple contact dermatitis? Uh, talk to us a little more, if you would, please, about establishing the relationship to hepatitis C. We would want to rule out other conditions and establish the diagnosis with certainty in that it's related to a hepatitis C infection. While other conditions that can perhaps mimic a cutaneous vasculitis would be in the realm of seborrheic dermatitis, contact dermatitis, tick bites, mosquito bites, etc., which are unusual. This patient has cryoglobulins, and that is important. You can do complement levels, which may be low. These patients on a skin biopsy may have features of vasculitis, and that, of course, clinches the diagnosis. You don't need to go that far. If you were to treat this patient's hepatitis C infection and achieve sustained virologic response, and the skin rash does not appear again, you have the answer. You then know for sure that the skin rash was related to hepatitis C infection. Let me make sure I've got this right. Management of this condition, it's actually pretty simple. If you know she has hepatitis C, treat the hepatitis C and then recheck the skin condition. If it's gone, then the rash was a hepatitis C extrahepatic manifestation and should not be returning. Is that accurate? Obviously, the treatment would be off directly acting antiviral drugs to treat hepatitis C with the expectation of a high chance of sustained virologic response. Generally, if the rash is mild, there is no need to pursue any topical treatments. The patients generally handle the rash well, and successful eradication of hepatitis C should lead to long-term resolution of skin rash. Now, some patients may have quite dramatic, severe rash, and particularly with necrosis. Then there are treatments directed at immune complex phenomenon, such as corticosteroids. This generally is not required. To summarize, hepatitis C therapy is the answer to the skin rash and not anything directed topically at the skin rash. Thank you for sharing your expertise and bringing us today's cases, Dr. Reddy. I've got one last question for you. Let me ask you to look into the future for us, if you would, please. What changes in the management of the comorbidities of hepatitis C might we expect to see? This is an important question. As we recognize, we've come a long way in chronic hepatitis C infection with regard to therapies. We now have robust and effective and well-tolerated hepatitis C therapies through directly acting antivirals. Thus, we expect a decrease in comorbid disease burden as a consequence of hepatitis C infection. We'll see specifically decreases in renal and cardiac disease burden, and we recognize that these are major causes for morbidity and mortality. With us, we'll see a favorable outcome. Also, we have to keep in mind that hepatitis C infection causes a variety of symptoms such as fatigue, joint pains, and can cause mood and anxiety disorders, can cause asthenia, and we like to see resolution of these symptoms as well. 
we have to consider these as extrapatic manifestations as well. To summarize, we're going to see a lot of favorable outcomes with regard to morbidity and mortality from extrapatic manifestations and also improvement in quality of life. We traditionally are focused on liver disease as a manifestation of hepatitis C infection. However, as clinicians, it's very important that we keep an open mind and think about extrapatic manifestations. Please respect the signs and symptoms reported by the patient that are not liver-centric and consider extrapatic manifestations. Well said, Dr. Reddy, and, and thank you for sharing your insights. Let's wrap things up now by reviewing how our learning objectives have been addressed in today's discussion. Uh, so to begin, our first learning objective, describe the significant morbidity and mortality that may be caused by hepatitis C-related extrahepatic manifestations. What are the key things our listeners need to be aware of, doctor? The listeners need to know about extrahepatic manifestations and just not focus on liver disease alone. There is a spectrum of extrahepatic manifestations of hepatitis C that include renal disease, atherosclerotic disease, where they can have cardiac disease, history of strokes, they can have neuropathy, they can have cutaneous manifestations, and last but not least, type 2 diabetes can also be an extrahepatic manifestation. These extrahepatic manifestations can cause significant morbidity and mortality. What is very relevant and important is that cure of hepatitis C can favorably influence the course of extrahepatic manifestations. And last but not least, treat hepatitis C, regardless of the severity of liver disease, as a favorable outcome after such therapy can prevent extrahepatic manifestations. And our second learning objective, explain how hepatitis C treatment can favorably impact the course of extrahepatic manifestations. We should recognize that hepatitis C can cause symptoms without any objective disease manifestations. It can cause fatigue, joint pains, and lead to mood and anxiety disorders. And by treating hepatitis C infection, you can relieve them of these manifestations and improve their quality of life. Secondly, if they have renal and cardiac manifestations that can lead to morbidity and mortality, their outcomes can be improved by eradicating hepatitis C infection. There are a variety of atherosclerotic manifestations, such as strokes, and these can be lowered with successful therapy. Last but not least, it is important to recognize that type 2 diabetes can be an extrahepatic manifestation of hepatitis C infection. Thus, successful treatment of hepatitis C infection may have a favorable impact on the course of diabetes and particularly treatment requirement for diabetes. Dr. Raj Reddy from the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, thank you for participating in this eViral Hepatitis Review podcast. It's my pleasure to participate. For eViral Hepatitis Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at eviralhepatitisreview.org. This podcast is presented in conjunction with the eViral Hepatitis Review newsletter, a peer-reviewed literature review certified for CME and CE credit, emailed monthly to clinicians treating patients with viral hepatitis.
This activity has been developed for primary care physicians, gastroenterologists, infectious disease specialists, OBGYNs, physician assistants, nurse practitioners and nurses, and other clinicians diagnosing or managing patients with viral hepatitis. This activity has been planned and implemented in accordance with the accreditation requirements and policies of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, ACCME, through the joint providership of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine is accredited by the ACCME to provide continuing medical education for physicians. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine designates this enduring material for a maximum of 0.5 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. Physicians should claim only the credit commensurate with the extent of their participation in this activity. The Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing is accredited as a provider of continuous nursing education by the American Nurses Credentialing Center's Commission on Accreditation. For nurses, this 0.5 contact hour educational activity is provided by the Institute of Johns Hopkins Nursing. Each podcast carries a maximum of 0.5 contact hour. This educational resource is provided without charge, but registration is required. To register to receive eViral Hepatitis Review via email, please go to our website, eviralhepatitisreview.org. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. Use of the names of the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing implies review of educational format, design, and approach. Please review the complete prescribing information for specific drugs, combinations of drugs, or use of medical equipment, including indication, contraindications, warnings, and adverse effects before administering therapy to patients. Eviral Hepatitis Review is supported by an educational grant from Gilead Sciences Incorporated. This program is copyright with all rights reserved by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine.